You're listening to PlayStation Unchained. Hello and welcome, everybody, to the PlayStation Universe Metal Gear Solid podcast. I'm here with four other members of PlayStation Universe here to make conversation about Metal Gear Solid. Not only are we going to be covering a few things like uh, our origins of the, to the franchises as well as the games themselves, we're also going to be spending a bulk of time working with uh, you know, theories, concepts, things what we're expecting, anticipating, hoping for with the upcoming release of Metal Gear Solid Five. Uh, to get us started, let's do with introductions. We're working here with uh, Gary for one. How are you doing, Gary? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. It's not September 1st yet, yeah. but I'll be okay. Uh, we also have Ernest Lynn, good old Ernest. Hello. How are you? Yep. I'm here. Uh, we, and we're here with Adam Duffield as well. Evening, guys. And we also have uh, Neil Bolt. Hello. Okay. And uh, to get us started, we all have a point in the franchise where we began our journey, not Snake's journey, but ours, where we first started. And particularly, I would say this is fairly unique because I took one, I took a stance that was very, like, kind of, not in the middle, but it wasn't right away, where a lot of people were able to start right away with Metal Gear Solid. Um, But we'll get to that. Uh, First off, I'd like to start with uh, Ernest. When did you first get into Metal Gear Solid? Um, probably the latest out of everyone here. Um, Metal Gear Solid Four was my first one. Oh wow! Yeah, and what a what a confusing <laughs> one to start with. But it just was so filled with all these different facets and intrigue that I wanted to go back and start from the beginning and play through all the others. Yeah, that's the kind of a carryover for all the games necessarily. Because um, I had a similar situation, not quite as far as you were, but. Um, I've always wondered what it would be like for to have a completely impartial viewpoint going into Guns of the Patriots because there's so much information coming in from all directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, it was it was a lot to take in, but I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, and more on that later, of course. Um, for sure. But uh, what about you, Adam? When did you first get into it? One was the um, first Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation. Um, Way back when it came out? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were going on about it. Um, not really something that interested me at the time, but brought the game and uh, put it in and couldn't stop playing it. thought it was brilliant. So revolutionary for its time as well. Oh, big time. Yeah, That's really, really argument. awesome game. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing that Metal Gear has always been really good at is kind of defining the console generations each time. Yeah. And I'm hoping 5 goes into that, too. But, you know, more on that later. We're looking at then, uh, what about you, Gary? When did you get into it? Um, I got into it actually before the first Metal Gear Solid came out. Um, I got a Ooh. demo of the Japanese version of the original Metal Gear Solid on the PS1 in a magazine that I was subscribed to. And, you know, I, probably, I had no idea what it was. It was all in Japanese. I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> But it was awesome what was happening. You know, I was like, oh, look, I can knock on, on 
the containers to distract guards. I've never seen that before. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, that was my first introduction, and I went and pre-ordered the game right away after that. So many small things in that first one like, that really brought about the like the level of immersion. You know, the level of immersion in the first one that you wouldn't really see in a lot of other games comparable in that generation. You see it a lot now, but oh, yeah, it's such it, a huge thing. It definitely moved games forward with voice acting and <laughs> especially seeing little cutscenes like that. You know, incredible stuff. Even with those box heads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, what about you, Neil? Time, that wasn't it. <laughs> oh God, yes. Uh, what about you, Neil? When did you get into it? Um, it sort of crept up on me in the time that I was obsessed with Resident Evil Two, and yeah, being big into films at the time of certain types, which were many zombie films and action films, mainly Schwarzenegger stuff, and it was a great time for it to sort of turn up. But as I said, it took the back seat to resi because i was obsessed with it but i went back and played it not after that again and yeah it just everything clicked in just loved the whole lore behind it and ended up being excited for the next in the franchise and that's pretty much continued throughout big time big time absolutely um man i had a thought i think i'm gonna save it uh in regards to introductions, my, my first exposure actually was kind of happenstance. I had heard absolutely nothing about it, and actually even at this point I can say with a lot of personal animosity that I was, um, that all I had at the time was my original 64, Nintendo 64, and I was just playing general games on that point. But my, my step-cousin came over with his PlayStation 2, and I'd never really seen one before. I wasn't really big into gaming then, but he popped in Metal Gear Solid 2. And the moment he loaded it in, like I didn't know anything about the story. I was just watching it. It was such a clean, crisp, like just graphically astounding game. And I was hooked right away and it went into deep dialogue and really strong voice acting, much like you know, like you mentioned with the first one. Um and I was I was absolutely hooked and before I even played Metal Gear Solid, I played two at least ten times through, going through you know the game, the story, the dialogue, cutscenes every time, and all yeah. the all the codecs, all of them. I just wanted to know what was going on, and there were so many references to Shadow Moses, and much like uh, like Ernest's case with Guns of the Patriots, there's a lot of callbacks to older games in that sense. But yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a theme a theme that's been imat- uh, rampant through all all the games where you uh, you can kind of start up where the game is now and. Pull in to pull in information from the other ones, inspire you to go back and play the other ones. That's what's been really, really good with all the games so far. Um, but but with all these fran- with with any good franchise, a great franchise is even they all start with one point. It's Metal Gear Solid, and with that, I'd like to uh, like get give Gary the four a little bit. I'll give a little discussion with him, but uh, let's give a little topics, a little uh, conversation about Metal Gear Solid, the first one, how it uh, fortified itself well, what do you think gary uh, also a conversation on metal gear solid all right uh man where to start you know it, it starts off with, you know the voice acting for for starters is probably the best voice acting they had in a video game at the time you know they weren't hollywood actors but every character was so well portrayed and written for that matter um incredible stuff you know like 
even the themes of the game, you know, genetics and cloning and all that stuff that we know at the time was theoretically they were trying to prove can be done. And, you know, the game was, you know, using these themes uh, to, to kind of show off what can happen if, if these kind of technologies, you know, became a reality. And, you know, my favorite moments in one, man, I, I think it has to be all the characters in the game. I think of all the Metal Gear Solids, um, I think the original had the best um, villains, in my opinion. Um, you know, each one had such a great personality. You know, Vulcan Raven, Sniper Wolf, Revolver Ocelot. Psycho Mantis to this day is one of the greatest boss fights in video game history for a lot of mm-hmm. people. And, you know, it, the game did so many things, especially with that fight, you know, where, oh, he can read your memory card of old Konami game saves that you have on your memory card. It was awesome. Never been done before, you know. And, you know, you have to switch the control port. You know, the, it was such so genius how he implemented a lot of things into that game. And I, I wish that as, you know, the franchise went forward, he, he kind of tried to implement things like that again. But they just didn't have that same impact, which kind of made me sad. But... You know, it, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Uh, the fact that a lot of those things weren't implemented very well, but at the same time, um, the, a lot of the those things you kind of come to expect now. You know, like you've you've seen it once. You know, once you see it once in a game, especially with something that's so like profound and memorable, you see it once, you're going to remember it. It's not going to go anywhere. So if you see it again, you know, even in like uh, uh, Twin Snakes, when he when they try to do that with like uh, the the Zelda games, when he referenced them that way on memory cards, it was still kind of like, yeah, I was expecting that. Yeah, but. it's very true, but, like, like I, I keep saying, I keep going back to, like, the characters were just so great, you know, and, and when all their deaths, you know, kind of made me sad, like, all of them. I was sad when Vulcan Raven died, I was mm-hmm. sad when Sniper Wolf died. Especially. But, yeah, just the conversations, are like, you know, like, you know they're villains, but you kind of feel for them, you know, and you understand why they're doing what they're doing, and, you know, and, you know. Yeah. Gray Fox at the end as well, you know, just beautifully written stuff, and it's genius the way he set everything up. Like, yes, good old Frank Yeager, poor guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's usually how it goes. Um, especially when when characters are not. I don't want to say throwaway characters. That's something else. But you know, when when a character is compromised by the the villain, they end up being you know, like obviously Frank Yeager was put as part of a. Uh, an experiment so he was he was very much pretty much thrown away as a person and turned into this machine but the uh, his exposure to snake and his exposure to you know like niceties and kindness and humanity brought him back and that was a really nice uh, underlying theme as well plus the fact that he took on rex without arms was impressive Mm -hmm. um but things that never been done like every boss fight was so different you couldn't go in with the same strategy you know like that's exactly true even if you could shoot uh, sniper wolf in the ankle <laughs> yeah i mean um, fight vulcan raven okay i can shoot him in the back you know i can plant claymore mines i can use the nikita missile there's so many different ways to to go about the fight all of them for that matter were just awesome yeah, it was it was such an adult. I would say I would say it was very adult uh, exposure to the generation. 
Like, you know, you didn't really have a lot of those things. You know, you have RPGs uh, generally that were going into a lot of, you know, like adult themes, you know, like here and there. You know, there was some, I know there was definitely quite a few in like Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, just off the top of my head. I know there were other ones out there, but I can't think of them right now. Uh, but like a lot of the exposure that was put into Metal Gear Solid, the first one, had a lot of timely location too a lot of timely referencing you know we there was uh you know um nuclear uh, not yeah, yeah you know like nuclear material like mutts uh material unaccounted for you know there were things that you know we we're still we were well out of the cold war but there was still these you know these small conflicts and small this and small that going on so it was all relevant information you know everyone was trying to become a nuclear power at some point or some way or whatever technical way they could find it but it was still very relevant at the time um and you know the the genome the the genoming or excuse me yeah the the genome studies that they were doing as well were also yeah early 90s yeah yeah it's things that they talked about well yeah. it's theoretically possible you know we're trying to do it and the game played all those themes yes well, and they were very relevant to the time which which made the game even more impacting um but even more still is the fact that you know, like with any any good game in the gaming industry, it's never gonna have it's never gonna be on its own, and that brings us to Metal Gear Solid Two, which was the one of the pinnacle games, not a launch game, but one of the pinnacle games to the PlayStation Two era. And to com- to converse about Sons of Liberty, I'm gonna have a conversation with Neil, one of his, and this is one of his favorite games. Uh, yeah. What did you like so much about it, Neil? Um, tying into what I was saying earlier about just it was the point in my life where movies were like the big thing to me and i was really obsessed with them almost at the same level i was as video games and metal gear solid 2 was just like i could not only play it for what it was but watch it for what it was and you know the little messages it had in it and i don't know at any other point in my life i think i may not have understood it quite as well in the same way and had quite the same impact but it just it hit right because I was in the right mindset for it. But beyond that, it's just the tiniest details. You think of that whole tanker section, which you know, a lot of people played on a demo disc long before the game came out. Yes. And it is literally the best couple of hours of gaming in a demo ever. And it's like you, the first Metal Gear demo is pretty cool for what it is, but it's just so wonderfully self-contained and it's just so many little extras and hidden bits in there that you, you know, by just calling up on the codec at a certain times, you know, shooting certain things, messing around with the guards, and it's just, it's absolute, it's a, a playground of things to do. And, you know, it echoed on later on with Ground Zeroes, where they did a very similar thing of, you know, it's very limited what you're doing, but you can experiment and mess around and see what you want to do with it. Oh, yeah, and I, most definitely. I mean, you get to the point, obviously, where the big twist comes in. And, yeah, that was unexpected. And a lot of people hated it before it was. But it's so necessary in a way. Because I think the backstory we've heard about it before is that Kojima didn't really want to make a sequel sequel. Yeah. And that he just, this was like his response, was to say, I'm going to give you the same game, essentially by having someone else replay Snake's mission in in a supposed VR session and make you, you are Raiden, that's the idea, is you are basically the gamer and they are talking to you 
the whole way through that thing. So he feels duped, you feel duped. And I think that's why it made a lot of people angry because, you know, these days gaming are probably, you know, he'd probably get more praise for that because that's the way gaming's evolved. But back then it was like, wasn't so well understood, you know, mm-hmm. even though he had broken such great ground with the first Metal Gear Solid in terms of an adult narrative, it we still weren't there. You know, the, the industry still was uh, you know, not long from GTA 3 being a, oh, good yeah. fellas, a good fellas sort of pastiche in terms of script, you know, funny, but still very much juvenile. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's upset a lot of people and a lot of people you know, critically as well as commercially sort of went, no, I don't, I don't like it like that. And damn it as being some awful game, which is just so wrong for me. It's just such a wonderful, wonderful game on so, so many levels. And well, going going a little further with that is what's interesting is that you know if he he went with this tie like you know anybody can be snake if put in the uh, and that's kind yeah. of one of the, the themes in the thing too you know anybody can be snake if put in the proper circumstance right but what's really what's ironic about him coming out and doing it that way is that what ended up happening was that he proved that false like you know like sure he made a, a super soldier you know a child soldier and. Uh, in uh, Raiden, uh, yeah, came in as an example, and he was pretty much did what Snake did. Yeah, but but he kind of like fell through it. He didn't he didn't succeed like Snake did. He kind of just Not. fell into success. And you know, even at the end of the game, you have him. You know, have uh, Jack trying to find some sort of you know grounds and what happened, and you know he doesn't have anything, and he still ends up resorting to Snake. So. You know, Snake is you know telling him these things. You know, uh, what is he, what did he say? What's what's the wording exactly? Um, uh, choose something to believe. Uh, find something to believe and believe it for yourself. And when you yeah. do, pass it on to the future. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, which, but that that final clo- that kind of line for me kind of solidified the fact that Snake was very necessary. Yeah. You know, even though even though Raiden could be you know this this super you know this superhuman super soldier that can that could save the world, much like Snake did. He doesn't give that same residual sense that Snake would. Yeah. There's but, but, another level to it, I think, as well, where it's, uh, it's also saying that the reason Snake can do this is because he's you know, he is drilled to do that. He is made from the DNA of someone who was that soldier. It's like, yes. Whereas Raiden is still essentially very human compared to Snake. Snake is... Yeah, you know, he's a clone at the end of the day. He's not like everyone else. And yeah, you know, his mentor isn't as you know, it was a, a bigger thing because his was DNA, whereas, you know, Ryden's was mainly George Sears. Yes. And uh he's technically inferior in one way or another. So it's yeah, well, it's that human side of things that may have been the difference to say that yeah you could be like snake if you were completely you know really actually te- george I'm sears sorry. was uh actually george sears was solidus yeah that's right so that's when <laughs> i went blank on which one he was for a minute i thought <laughs> okay george sears so, um, yeah um, but like, you know i mean he was he again was a clone so he was passing down second-hand information into you know Raiden as a child time. So, so you have like secondhand and then thirdhand information being riding pretty much because you know the the direct information came from from bo- from Big Boss 
That's it. It comes back to that whole passing the information. But if you pass the information wrong, you get a different result. And that's something that was that hasn't been discussed for a long time. But the the original three Metal Gear games had general underlying themes that were not even underlying. They were general themes for the games. Uh, if you guys remember, me and Gene and Scene. Yeah. Metal Gear One was Gene, and Two was Meme. Mm-hmm. Not not memes like people know them, but it's more about um, upbringing and raising what what you teach as opposed to what is late in. In latent or latent into your uh, DNA or your instincts or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but what is really interesting that you brought up the DNA part because that that carries over really well into the next piece of discussion. the The source matter for Snake himself, Big Boss, in uh, Snake Eater, Metal Gear Solid Three, mm-hmm. and what particularly? Well, in this one, actually, we have uh, Adam, Gary, and Ernest. Uh, but what really substantiates this one as one of your favorite ones in the series? They're all uniquely, you know, potent. Which one? Uh, what about you, Adam? Why does this one stand out so much just, for you? It was just the way it sort of started for me. You know, you kind of go into the jungle to rescue the scientist guy. Um, you go and do that. You succeed at that. You start bringing him back, and then the next thing, you know, it, it completely turns the story around. You expect to move on from that and you obviously you get confronted um by what's what's the uh, lady's name again the boss the boss yeah the boss thank you yeah you, you might have to give me a minute to refresh my memory um and then <laughs> it has been yeah, a while so yeah it's been a little while but i'll, I'll it's remember been a while. do it. you remember me <laughs> do you know what day it is today <laughs> april 30th i'm sorry <laughs> okay go on yeah it was kind of just you know a complete surprise you think that it it just sort of completely turns on it on its head you know snake ends up getting injured and then you call back in again to 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 sort of almost sort of start it all again um and for me that was just a massive surprise i wasn't expecting it It, it's a really interesting concept to be betrayed by the person who taught you yeah which is which makes perfect sense, actually, in hindsight, because he ends up doing the same thing. You know, big uh, big boss ends up doing the same thing to Snake. You know, in his uh, earlier style of Metal Gear on Nintendo, uh, which and I never really thought of it. I don't know why I never thought of it. Damn. Okay, um, but it's it's really interesting to think about the fact that he his his stigma. You know, his you know just his general negative portrayal you know is in regards to how america saw him you know in uh, like metal gear and um you know anything regarding metal uh, big boss later on in in timeline is that he was scorned by everybody around him everybody that raised him everyone that taught him so that when he finally took himself up on his own two feet he was you know thrown away you know pretty much you know told that he was bad and evil and all this, and it just made him worse and worse and worse. It wasn't even really his fault, but he ended up, you know, he obviously makes a decision to be this uh, very negative person, but he spends what uh, you have, Snake Eater, you know, being defeated and scorned and disregarded by his government and his, you know, his, his raison d'etre, his, his uh, inspiration his his leader, you know, his his mentor, it ends up being 
coaxed by this government to be killed by him and you know tell him that she, and she has to tell him that she's evil so his yeah. definition of good and evil ends up getting deteriorated god i love three yeah it's just a great it's a great story it is just the, the whole story of it's just brilliant what about you ernest what about what me? has that what ha- what what well, let me tell let me tell me, tell me your life story now what ha- what do you have uh what what puts Metal Gear Solid Three on the map for you as one of your favorites? Hmm, there's a lot to it. I really like the period piece of nature of it. That yes, Cold the, War the era. Yeah, yeah. Um, but man, the just the pacing is also really well. How it it does start. It's a slow start in my opinion. A little bit slow, but oh, then yeah. it really builds itself up, and that ending. Is uh, that's what everyone talks about. I and mean, hate to be cliche and ref, you know refer to it, but man. But when that, it's good, it's good, right? It is good, and every time, every time I play through or see it, it just brings a tear to the eye. Right. You know, I yeah. I, think that, I totally that understand. Emotional, yeah. That emotional connection that you get that you make, and you know the way that the story really puts you in. Naked Snake slash Big Boss's shoes is really great. I love that. Yeah, he does such a good job of humanizing Big Boss. You know, after you know, you hear him in passing in mm-hmm. one and two as this this negative guy, this is really bad. But then you start you start living in his shoes and you start seeing his you know his his struggles and his issues and what what has been done to him and it really perpetuates him as a human being, not just uh, what soldier. Uh, like a soldier deity. Yeah, yeah it's. I think as a character, I do like Big Boss more than Solid Snake, just because he's he's just had gone through all these experiences and seems more fleshed out for the most part, you know. Yeah, whereas Solid Snake just kind of is a your typical uh, action protagonist for the most part, you know. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I I can definitely relate to that. Uh, you know, you start somewhere. You start with um, you don't you know you start with Solid Snake, but um, the source matter ends up becoming a little bit more interesting a lot of the times. And Kojima definitely took that to heart when you know putting his heart and soul into Big Boss. Um, but I t- I totally agree that Big Boss is a much more substantial character. But that's I would say only because he was given more substantiality as opposed to just being the soldier in these predicaments. Very true. Yeah. And the way his story plays out, you know, he's a, a real tragic hero. Uh, yes. The way things go. Yep. Um, what about you, Adam? Where did, why, uh, why is Metal Gear Solid three on your best games map? Well, and just like you say, the setting is one of the main reasons. Um, you know, the, the the differences in the story as you play through the game. Um, you meet uh, some of the, I mean, some of the boss fights were brilliant in that as well. You know, like the guy who shoots bees at you. Um, oh, that pain. was quite a good boss fight. Pain, pain. <laughs> Tommy Gun. <laughs> yes. Um, the sorrow. That was quite a good boss fight as well. That was. Um, a bit weird as well, the fact that you have to walk through a river of, well, if you killed, obviously, the soldiers while you're playing the game, you'd see them. If you didn't kill anybody, you didn't see anybody. 
Yeah, walk through. Um, although at one point I did have actually ever wonder if that was ever going to end. <laughs> Must have you, you, a you lot do of seem people. to go. You do seem <laughs> to go for it for quite a little while, and it took me a little while to work out how to make it end when I first played it. Um, oh, yeah. but I think probably the, the best boss fight was um, the sniper in the woods. Oh, yeah. Because that was hard. Because he it's was really um, very good at hiding. Through that game, you can get through that fight without even fighting him. Yeah, don't you? You, I think that you leave. Don't you leave it off? Uh, don't you do something for a week or something like that? Yeah. I can't remember what you, you uh, were saying about it. You can it. avoid fighting him twice, two different ways. Uh, one is uh, you just sit there for a week and he dies. Like you That's can even it. put your uh, you can even put your console date and time ahead a week, and he dies. Uh, but you can also in uh, one of the early points in the snake eater mission not the uh, um uh, what's the not the first mission the the second one uh is when you first come across him being wheeled out by um yeah, yeah you can before he goes back inside you can snipe him and kill him yeah that's it that's how i did it the second time around but you won't get his uh his gun or anything but it's a good way to get through a speed run mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> true um but no, for me, some of the best boss fights were in that game. Yeah, I think that, that was the me best personally, boss fight. but um, yeah, we're looking at boss fights. Um, yeah, it was actually what was really unique in that one too, uh, in regards to boss fight, which was the boss event with the Shagohad just before you, you know, yeah. you fight him in with uh, oh my god, what's his name? Oh, the Vol- thank you. When you start, when you, before you fight him with, uh, you know, un- fight the Shagohad and Volgan, you have that that bike event, and I I yeah. did a lot of reading on how they they put a lot of time and effort making sure that the choreography was really good and really intense, and you could still do it from the, you know, the the aiming view, as well as experience it, you know, firsthand. You know, you experience it in the cutscene form that they essentially turned it into, which was also a uniquity, and, and still even on. Uh, PS2, you know, considering that they had made Metal Gear Solid 2 already, they, which was an icon to the console, they had done something like this, which also turned into another icon for the console. Mm. And the, Kojima has just been really adamant on making sure that his games are relevant, which carries over into all of them. It's just, 3 is a, just so good. Plus a narrative. Um, I actually first played snake eater on the vita i never actually played it on playstation 2 oh wow yeah yeah i brought the um double pack where you could get snake eater and um metal gear solid 2 that was the first time i ever played it and i uh, yeah i really enjoyed it nice well you know that was a really that was a really good way to play it too because you know i've i've platinum two and three on both consoles the ps3 and the vita but I won't lie when I say that I enjoyed playing both of them the most on the Vita. Yeah, I, I, it's still I, really crisp I, and really clean, really just a yeah, really good delivery. It's, the fact that it translates from PS2 to Vita blew my mind. But it was just such a great thing to have with you, you know, take a hand, take a handheld game like that of that caliber everywhere you wanted. Uh, just stuck with me again. It was good but, to play on the Vita as well. The controls were easy enough, weren't they? Oh, big time. Uh, I'd say the only time I had a struggle was when I had to play through um, Extreme and fighting the uh, the Wave of Rays. Now, we're not going to worry about spoilers. This game is old. Uh, fighting that <laughs> Wave of Rays, 
uh, yeah. at the end. You have to fight. You have to stop. I think uh, twenty of them. And yeah. having yeah. the, the a lot. having the command flow because they're you know they're all over the place in extreme and they're they're challenging. They, having the command flow on the Vita just wasn't there. So I I trans what is it transferred my save to PS3 yeah. to do that yeah. fight. Yeah, just because the R2 and the L2 helped a lot. Yeah. Um, but the what, with with putting all these three together was and putting all these three together is kind of a trick, a really hard trick. But I I would say Kojima managed to do so with Guns of the Patriots and it being kind of a I don't want to say it's a final note because obviously it's not, but it was Kojima's attempts to put this sort of like I'm done with this franchise on the franchise by answering all the questions, putting in all these pieces, fan services, um, nostalgia, love, hate, just closing doors on things that people were wondering. And I think that's one of the things that really puts guns of the Patriots on the map, even, even apart from some of the weird things that they did in there and things like that. But, um, Ernest, you started with Guns of Patriots, which I, did. I, I can only imagine <laughs> as a very unique experience. Uh, tell us about it. What, what, how was your first experience in it? And what, what has kept Guns of the Patriots, your first experience, as your best one? So my very, very initial exposure to Guns of the Patriots was I was at my friend's house. Um, he's actually one of my roommates now, longtime friend. And uh, he had MGS4. And he, what he did is he had me, very, very mean of him, had me play the vamp boss fight. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat there for I don't know how long, just trying to kill him. Oh, no. You know, I didn't know anything about Metal Gear Solid, really. You know, <laughs> I didn't know that I had these really out-of-the-box ideas on how to beat boss fights. So I'm just there. I'm just shooting him and trying every weapon. And then after quite a while, he finally tells me, like, oh, you got to use this syringe thing. I was like, what? <laughs> Why? Does your friend realize that he's the biggest troll? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, and, then, and then after I was done with that, he's like, yeah, you should play this game. It's got a really weird story. It's like anime. So you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So I was like, all right, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then, yeah, I got the game and was confused during a large, large amount of it, but never bored. You know, it was. I can only imagine you were just constantly getting <laughs> this wall of information, right? All the and subtext. The, <laughs> and luckily, there's just there's so many cutscenes and codec calls and exposition mm-hmm. where they have the voiceover mm-hmm. and they're showing various graphics and stuff. That you know, I I was able to pick up on a good amount of it. Um, and, I, and, and that was one. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm really glad we had we're having this uh, this exposure in here because you know playing through four. You know when I first played through it, mm-hmm. I was thinking there's so much referencing, so much. You know, much more than it is in other ones. You know, I I know there was an intention. You know, uh, right. to to help. You know, because this is the first game on this is the first Metal Gear game on PS3. They wanted to make sure that. You know, he wanted to make sure that people who hadn't played PS2 or you know PS1 before that had the availability of information to you know mm-hmm. to work with it. So it, it, but still, I would spend all this time going, 
I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. But what about those people who have no idea why this is important? Because <laughs> right. you know, like a lot of the times, you know, like in in three, I would say in uh, in not in three in uh, in Act three, it's I would say it's one of the the more um, like not I don't want to say dull, but it's really like watered down in in voice acting, especially with uh, whoever they chose to be uh, Big Mama. Yeah. That's she true. was not. She was that not was, a very. That was a lull. Like, that was definitely a lull in the in and, the game. And she spends a lot of time talking about you know like this exposition and subplot and subtext. And it's it gets really just worn down. It's really boring to listen to because she doesn't do a very good job of conveying it. So, I like how how did that go for you? Like you know that act three, which was so just. Yeah, I definitely felt that was one of the lower. Lower, uh, slower points uh, of the game. Just not, not terribly interesting. I like, I like like the beginning, and then that like last big chunk at the end. But yeah, that's definitely, especially some of the stuff they make you do, like following the guy whistling. Oh, gross! And yeah. it's just yeah. some really, really tedious moments uh, in that. In that chapter, yeah that that that's a, uh, that was just the worst act. That's I'd the one that I try and like forget about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it yeah it it makes total sense. Uh, but Act Four, and, and I bring this up for you because you didn't experience any of this beforehand, and I'm sure a lot of us here can relate to this. Is one of my and I mentioned this at the before we even started. My greatest moment personally in gaming history was the opening of Act 4. Actually, all of Act 4. The whole thing was just a callback to Metal Gear Solid. And when right. you first... When, you, when you, you walk through the the, uh, the snowy area and you walk down that, that final ramp past the, uh, the, the Metal Gear... I can't remember they're called. The moving one. Oh, my God. Terrible name. Rex. I'm terrible. Geckos. Geckos. The Geckos. geckos. Thank you. I'm, I'm an absolutely terrible fan. I couldn't remember Gecko. <laughs> but... Yeah, you walk past that final one, and you walk down the, the the slope, and it opens up to the hang. It opens up to the to the opening of Metal Gear Solid One, and the the original song track goes up through the through the wind. And I that, from that moment through the whole thing was just this wave of nostalgia I couldn't get out from the whole yeah. thing. Even even the uh, even the fight with Crying Wolf, the whole thing was just a callback. It was just a heartwarming moment. The, the like I didn't even feel really tense the whole time. It was, in, but I was still very engaged. It was all about going back to old places, seeing how things have deteriorated, how they've died. It was kind of a f- melancholy as well, in the sense that parts of your memory have died, they've been deteriorated, they've degraded from what it used to be. It was, it was a very just wholesome moment for me. You have this wave of nostalgia and wave of melancholy all at once, and. Uh, I, 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 I feel terrible knowing that you, you weren't able to experience that in the same way. Like the very first thing you just went, you kind of, or, or am I wrong? Did you, what did you, how did you feel about act four? Ernest? I liked, I liked it. It was a, it was a cool setting. I, once I went back and played through four after playing through one, I had a greater appreciation for it especially with how true they replicated Shadow Moses. It's crazy. 
Yes. Where, you know, the, they've looked at it, the old maps of MGS1 and remade them, you know, with you got the, the lava pits there, the trap doors that would get some people. Those were there too. Just everything. Yes. It's so great. Oh, man. Childhood, huh? Uh, what about you, Adam? What puts Guns of the Patriots on the map for you? Well, going back to Shadow Moses had to be probably the um, best part of it for me. Um, didn't, it, didn't it just make you want a Metal Gear 1 remake, though? Oh, my God. Like nothing else. <laughs> oh my God. It was so good. I was just, just sort of walking around thinking, do you know what? They really need to remake Metal Gear 1 if it looks like this. But, I mean, yeah, for me, Shadow Moses going back there. Um, the fact that you could um, have a fight in the old Metal Gear. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh. Metal Gear Rex versus Metal Gear. I think, was it Metal Gear Ray that you fought? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that. how many of us wanted that in a, in a Metal Gear game where we could actually <laughs> fight as Rex? <laughs> oh, my. Yes. Epic. And then the crushing callback to, you know, uh, Liquid's death with Fox Die and Frank Yeager's death, you know, re- uh, replicated by Raiden, of course. Um, and he doesn't die. Raiden doesn't die. But <laughs> the, spoiler alert. Nobody cares. Spoilers. <laughs> you made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> he feasibly uh, should die, but he doesn't die. <laughs> but like the second best moment of four is the fist fight at the end of the, the, at the very end of the game. Oh, yeah. I love that. It's such a callback to everything. Uh, apart from all the information he has to put into this game, Hideo Kojima puts the heart and soul in that final bit. It brings everything back, not only to Metal Gear Solid 1, but it goes through all three. And not only with the aesthetics of the bars and like the, the way that the, the, the enemy, uh, way that Ocelot you know, changes his form or his execution or whatever, but you also have, yeah, like, yeah, the theme songs for each game, for each portion of the fight. It's such a it was such a memorable thing. Man, I love how some of the stuff was choreographed in that. <laughs> yes, so good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, just you, how the just is there any ending to a Metal Gear Solid that isn't just super dramatic and theatrical? <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> wouldn't be a Metal Gear Solid if it wasn't. Right. right. I mean, in three, you're fighting, and just. This gorgeous flower field. And then four, you're on top of (laughs) a giant (laughs) air carrier or whatever. You know, it's two. It was like in front of, it was like on top of the Federal Reserve. Yeah. New York City. Yeah. And then one was uh, with with Rex. Right on top of Rex. Right on top of Rex. Just, man. Big climaxes each time. Oh yeah, um, you know it's I, that's just makes you wonder what it's going to be in MGS Five. Oh my god, I I, I feel like it's going to be the next like in the like the the further the next jump to the cinematic level embedded in games, much like how they how he did with Four, where he would have a cutscene meld and then just kind of ebb into the gameplay. Mm-hmm. And one of the points that I really remember is when in the first act of four, when uh, he, when Snake finally meets up with Meryl and the 
Johnny and uh, I can't think of the squad's name. Hey, Rap Patrol. Frogs. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Rap Patrol. Oh, They're fighting the frogs. They're fighting the frogs. Good call, Gary. <laughs> Uh, but it, they go down the hall and they kind of just line up and the camera pans from in front of Snake all the way around and the UI shows up. I lost it. I won't lie. I lost it. Like, oh, yes. There was no, there was no cutscene break. It was full immersion. Uh-huh. And I think that's going to like those kind of things are going to be five. Even more, even more present in five. Just Big time. given the technology. Yeah. Like there won't even be cutscene stops. There will only be loading times to probably go from you know yeah i think ground zeroes is pretty much shown that'll be the case right the way they did things but before we get there we have one last piece to talk about actually what would lead right into uh, metal gear solid 5 and ground zeroes we didn't Mm. mention ground zeroes yet but we have peace walker formerly the psp game now it's available on ps3 and xbox 360 i almost said one and neil and vita yeah yes no it's not on vita uh, you, can, to, you can play it to, on there, but it's the PSP yeah. game. Oh, right, right, yep. No trophies, broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, Neil, what puts Peace Walker, the handheld game, on the map for you? It's just so different. It's, I mean, I've not played much Monster Hunter, but obviously it's a very much like Monster Hunter in terms of what you can do outside of the main game. But it was the, the whole mother-based thing. That made it for me. It was just the yes. fact that you could maintain your own base, the full toning out of you know enemies to work in your base. That is obviously now going to carry on through to the Phantom Pain, and it's just glorious. And then there's the co-op, and just little things like that. It's just where portable ops failed so badly to be a good portable Metal Gear. It just everything clicked with Peace Walker. I, the whole time I had my PSP, the, the only game I played this much was this. This was it. It, it was the game I played a lot of. And right. No, yeah. That year, I played that game more than any other game. I, just, I can I totally so relate games. to that, especially yeah. on the PSP. The only other game that I played that much was Crisis Core. Uh, well, <laughs> shamefully, the next best was probably Resident Evil 2. Because <laughs> it's <was> a- <laughs> <laughs> it. On any console, if I thought Resident Evil 2, I'll play Resident Evil 2. <laughs> it's just the way of it. But yeah, Peace Walker is just immense. I didn't like it when I went to consoles. It just didn't feel the same for me. It feels so designed for a handheld. It's, yeah, it's, it's true. really hard to get around that fact. It's really hard to get around that fact. However... Not that hard for me because I just platinumed it actually last night. But <laughs> I have a funny story though about the console versus original portable with Peace Walker. Is sure. Um, again, uh, spoilers. Uh, the final, the true final boss battle against Pause, uh-huh. which I thought was kind of hard. Um, I tried playing it after failing a number of times uh, on the PSP. I would did the transferring, loaded my save onto the PS3 HD collection. Mm-hmm. And I tried playing it there and I just, I was doing worse. Cause I was so <laughs> used to using the face buttons to control the camera. Yeah. And so I went back and I ended up beating it on the PSP. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be <laughs> easier, but just the muscle memory, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I found it tough on the PSP, you know, despite multiple plays and it, really did mangle my hands my hands hurt 
after the first few weeks of playing it because I played it so much and it's just not well designed console for your hands for long term play. Right. No. I, I was literally just playing it plugged in to the wall socket for most of the time. <laughs> You'd have to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, to make it work right. And it got to the stage where I was just like, uh, yeah, horrible. And yeah, so when I went to the console version, I was just like, oh, well, maybe it'll be a bit easier, you know, I can do it a bit more casually. But yeah, as you say, it's just the way it was set up and the fact that it was so ingrained in my mind of mm-hmm. how I played it. Because we're talking hundreds of hours at this point where I've put into this probably more so the only other metal gear game i've put in this many hours is the second in sons of liberty mm-hmm. and mm. so yeah that was it they were the controls in my head and it just i, I played like three hours on ps3 and i never went back because it just it felt wrong and it's like no it will study my memory i will not like this game as much if i carry on <laughs> trying on here <laughs> You know, Ernest, I'm really glad you brought up uh, the the fight with Paz at the end. Yeah. Because when I first played it on PSP, I, I what I thought beat the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get to see the true ending. I just got through the, the, the fight with Peace Walker. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the nuclear strike was stopped. And, you know, I went and did some extra missions and stuff. But I didn't get far enough to, you know, capture Zadornov all Zadornov. seven times. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know, but I managed to do that here when I was going through the platinum, and I felt ashamed when I realized that there was story after that that I had never experienced. Right. I loved that's it. Not, I loved it. Oh yeah, it's it's really cool. I think that's a, one problem is that it, with that is that uh, with Peace Walkers it doesn't communicate that particularly well. Like, hey, there's there's a true ending. Um, yeah. I don't remember how I figured figured it out. I think either I saw like. Something on like a GameFAQs walkthrough, or yeah, or something, and passing on Twitter or something. Yeah, because it's it's a it's a major, it's a huge plot point, Mm, and you 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 only find it by going back to the the first op once you've done a certain amount of stuff Mm -hmm. and finding the doorknob on the upper level in a training level. Yeah, and you're like, what? What are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. But that after I finally saw that, it kind of put a uh, a really like quaint perspective on five mm. what's coming with that. And you know what happened with ground zeros and all that too. Yeah. Um, and with all this stuff was going on with pause and it, it, cause when I, you know, and before, you know, a couple days ago I hadn't known about it and it went into, uh, I went into ground zeros and it was kind of this sort of thing where like, Oh look, they had pause with them and now she was taken. You know, I didn't know what was going on, you know, like pause and Chico were just taken like, okay, I can get on board with that. But now it makes complete sense because you also have that 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 like that never to fruition uh, love interest between the two, mm-hmm. and you know she disappeared because she was part of um, Cipher, and Chico went after her to rescue her because you know he he loved her, but he ended up getting captured. Yeah. So it was just really it was it was a really interesting thing to go you know finally see what i didn't know i needed to see yeah right <laughs> and a little unfortunate cuz i had already you know i had obviously clearly played through ground zeros uh, mm-hmm. a fair few times and i just didn't it, and it didn't really present itself as a piece of material to know with yeah. you know with the whole thing with pause and everything cuz they were just characters in peace walker but and Mike, like you mentioned with um, with the issue of story conveyance, the the fact that it doesn't really put that proper ending in there is mm-hmm. unfortunate because that's necessary now for 
Ground Zeroes, obviously, and then into what's going to be in Phantom Pain. Yeah. And it's really unfortunate that he went about that way. Yeah, it's such a huge part of the story and something that, like you said, sets up for Metal Gear Solid V. Um, It's also, I overall, I feel like Paz was, she came across, at least before that true ending, as being one of the the purest of heart Mm -hmm. characters, you know, really innocent. Um, And I always wondered if Kojima, you know, designed her in that way to be kind of representative of um, the Moe culture that you have in Japan, where uh, things are just really cutesy for the sake of being cute. And it's, you know, a thing that plagues, some would say, Mm -hmm. uh, anime and Oh, games, yeah. especially like JRPGs, they're just all these moe style designs, uh, or just like really cutesy and soft looking. And I wonder if he did that as just kind of like a way a dodge. to, yeah, but also just like be like, hey, this is not real. Real you people know, th- are have ulterior motives, and uh, you know they have their own agendas. And pauses was the same way. <laughs> exactly. You know. um, that's actually a really that's a really good thing to bring up because that also brings up a topic for the the main subject matter. The reason why we're here actually, uh Metal Gear Solid Five. But we have a similar character if we're gonna look at it that way. Uh Quiet in five. Mm. And you mm. know, uh Kojima has defended her, defended her constantly about how she's not going to be just a representation of a scantily clad woman and that's normal in video games. She's going to be much more substantiated. And, you know, cons- if you're looking at an example like Paz, you know, like, like you mentioned, what was the, I can't remember the name, uh, the culture that, Japanese culture you mentioned? Moe, yeah. Moe. And that's, the, the whole Moe thing is something being cute in that a way that you just want to kind of protect it and love it. And that's oh, how sure. I felt that Paz was portrayed, uh, especially when you look at like Kodak calls and stuff, was that she was kind of became like the little sister, or the daughter, the princess of Mother Base, and everyone wanted to protect her and, you know, oh, yeah. stuff like that. When and she was really just a turns good out actor. She was really just the, 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 the real villain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like just in in a in a direct parallel to that, I think Quiet's mm-hmm. gonna be similar. Like she's not gonna be, you know, just this dainty thing that snipes people, right? Um, and I don't know if you guys have actually heard this theory, but there's a there's a standing theory that Quiet is actually Chico. Mm, yeah, I've had this theory. <laughs> what? Yeah, but what? Um, <laughs> yeah. The point and, of and, annoyance. <laughs> I've had this and, theory. And, for the what? record, this this I, I didn't pull this from any like early any any leaked information because you know I've okay. I've been I've been staying away from the dark part of the internet for a reason, right? Uh, but the, you know this is a, a long-standing theory, and what I've kind of pulled from it is this thought that maybe uh, Chico was you know obviously altered and mm. put into this stance where he's supposed to be just degraded. He's supposed to be degraded. You know, he doesn't even have his tongue anymore. If, if you know, if Quiet, of course, is Chico. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Chico had his tongue removed, and he was physically altered with the intention to deteriorate him. But what ends up happening is that she, Quiet, becomes this, you know, completely polar opposite of what was expected of her. 
is like just absolute super soldier. Mm-hmm. I guess, um, and then the the timeline I think kind of matches up because it does. Because yeah, Phantom Pain is quite a while after uh, after Ground Zeroes. Mm-hmm. And one of the the and I haven't really gone into the analysis of it because I kind of just want it to be one of those things that shows up and I want to think too deeply into it and expect it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of the things they mentioned in there as well was that the facial structures are very similar between Quiet and Chico, which is another reason why they brought it up too. Um, interesting. You know, it's obviously conjecture at this point, but it's a really interesting theory. Right. And what would be really inter- what's even more interesting is how timely that concept would be right now. Yeah. If that is what it is. But, right. you know, it's all speculation at this point. We'll see where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. But I th- I'd say one of the things, to, to kind of put a finality on this whole thing, is one of, the, one of the things I really want out of Final Fantasy. Or, wow. One of the things I really want <laughs> out guy. of. One of the things I really want out of Final Fantasy 15, just to put a hard segue <laughs> on the whole thing. Now, uh, what I really want out of Phantom Pain is just this, this validation of character. Not, o- not only for Big Boss, because... You know, we've so far we've already seen all these things that have brought him to this negative pinnacle in his life, but like just sub, uh, justification of character for Quiet being one of them because she's such a, a hot character right now, you know, hot topic. Uh, but we also have um, Ocelot, especially because Ocelot's been you know a, a double crosser, a triple crosser across the board. But it's but you didn't get much information on him as a person until these little snippets that showed up in three. You know, like his name is Adamska Shalashaska, mm. and you know that's where Shalashaska comes from. You get his full name, you know, from the first game, and you get Adamska as his first name. And you kind of get little bits and little bits here. You don't really know much about him, but since he's going to be working directly with Big Boss, he's going to become, I feel, I hope, a legitimate person, not just a gun-toting icon. You're pretty right. good. Yeah. And he's older in this one. You know, he's a little bit older, a little more mature. Um, yes. It seems like they're giving him a lot a lot of the dialogue. And they the better because it's, you know. it's Troy Baker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's, he's a fantastic voice actor. And the, the examples I've heard of him are really – I don't – that's not generous. It's a really creative medium between his younger self and his older self from the other games. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's not quite grisly. He's not even like quite grisly at all. But it's that sort of like I've been in Afghanistan for so long. My I'm getting scratchy. This kind of thing. It. Yeah, I'm really excited, especially for uh, for Ocelot Otacon. Wow, I'm really excited for Osaka. Uh, Os- wow, I'm really excited for Ocelot Ossifers, the the Ossifers legacy. I'm really excited for what they're going to do with Ocelot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, he, he's my favorite character by far in the series. Yeah? Just, he just has so many. Four, he is just wonderfully, wonderfully hammy in the way he does everything. And I, I love it because it just ties in with that less serious side. Of, you know, Metal Gear Solid 4 is very much pushes the, all these finalities and seriousness about everything. But he is just constantly just great. I mean, we were saying about Prague earlier that whole section where it's boring, it's a bit rubbish. But the whole confrontation between him and S- Snake, where he just he teaches Snake a, new, a lesson in CQC. Yes. It's awesome. it's awesome. That whole scene is awesome. That whole activated thing. Is, <laughs> activated. He sets up that. 
it's yeah and that was it i was infatuated too as well again it was another thing i just loved how he played everyone so well and yeah they turned such a background character into such a major force through the series so yeah i'd yeah. like to see this last little segment of his he knows, story he knows so much like if you think of going yeah he's he's, he's on everybody's so side much. yeah he has the fullest picture uh you know consistently throughout throughout the story i feel like big time um he's kind of just on the outside looking in but you know nobody really encroaches him you know you have a couple you have that fight with him in one but apart from that you don't and you know obviously the fight at the end of four but between then and you know then and then there's really no like why are you doing this what is this how what do you know how deep are you in in all directions that kind of stuff and i feel like that's going to be what's you're going to we're going to learn in Phantom Pain. Well, I, yeah. I always took... Like how deep he, the rabbit hole goes for him. Definitely. I, feel, I always took it like, towards the end of 4, you kind of found out that he was pretty much 100% loyal to Big Boss. And oh, yeah. Everything he was doing was to pretty much bring down the Patriots. So in a way, he was actually the good guy in the story, <laughs> but portrayed <laughs> as the villain because he had yeah. to, in order for the Patriots to believe that he was a threat to them. And it's really interesting. And that's a really good point, actually. Uh, how, and with with that in mind, it's it's a very interesting concept to think of how Kojima throughout the whole thing, not just in this example, it always play. He always plays on perspective, like what is evil and how it's portrayed and how this is looked, yeah. and you know how that evil or that good is deteriorated into what other people want to believe or want to see or how they want it portrayed. And I never thought about it with Ocelot. So thanks for that, Gary. That's yeah, like every like uh, every time I would replay four, I'm like, man, this guy is literally doing every he's doing the worst things possible mm-hmm. just to keep his cover, pretty much. Yeah, so they don't suspect him of being on Big Boss's side. Yeah, and again, Snake ends up being a pawn in yep. someone yeah. else's game. He has to kill him in order to keep that cover intact, which yeah. sucks, and he knows that that he has to die in order to keep the cover intact. Yeah. Has to, man. That's good. Um, what all? Uh, what other kind of things are you guys looking for? Do you? It's well, actually. Um, now that I think about it, there really hasn't been in any teaser, or any trailer, or anything. There hasn't been any mention of a Metal Gear at all. It is very weird. Yeah. That's true. yeah. Mm. Well, you see it in some of the trailers, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Hmm. There's never been like this is what he looks like. It's just been kind of like Godzilla glimpses before the movie came out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the movie. <laughs> um, Film spoilers. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I haven't seen the movie. I haven't either. So, but I, I don't care. That <laughs> yeah. seemed to be what? like the direction that they were taking, given yeah. the trailers and stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, te- Godzilla teased the movie. That one. So. Hey, it's relevant because they talk about Godzilla in Metal Gear Solid 3. So. That's yeah, true. Awesome. Kodak calls with uh, Paramedic. Uh, Paramedic. Yeah. They were great. Yes. All those movie references, so good. Like, and that's one of the things, too, that's kind of carried over with everybody. You, once you spend that time to get to know somebody in the game, they become perpetual characters, perpetual people. Not necessarily characters. Their influence on the game doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But you see them as people, not just 
you know, Mei Ling on the other end sending you crazy advice and saving your game for you. Or um, Nastasha Romanov. Thank it? you. I think that's her name. It yeah, is. Nast- Nastasha just telling you about like a gun here and a gun there and Oh, is it and you, and you don't even have to you don't even have to call her. Like you hear about her one time and you don't even have to call her again. So but the nice thing about the game is that you can you can if you really want go from point A to point B, which is beginning and the end. But you can also take these crazy tangents and funny curves and crazy stuff and you just experience the game as a whole. Like you have this full identity hidden within the game itself that you can yeah. unearth. And since that's been a, a perpetual so habit in all the games, I can only imagine, considering how big 5 is supposed to be, I can only imagine how much depth every character is going to have. So, mm. Tim, what you're, what you're saying is it's kind of like life. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because I think... I think the Metal Gear universe is more real than ours. Um, <laughs> but you think of some yeah. of the things it's predicted, and yeah, especially in two, uh, this whole reliance on the internet sort of came into play. And you know, look at us now; it's and the way information is passed on. It's yeah, he's goes quite ahead of the curve by sort of, as we said before, going with tech that's. You know, a bit fanciful at the time, but yeah, you know, a work in progress, and then sort of doing a what if, right? And it Big you time. know it's, and explores those concerns with stuff yeah. that we're going to be dealing with in the next couple of decades. Stuff with how much power and control do we give AI? Yeah. You know whether we should have so much of our nuclear armaments be automated. How much control yeah. do we give over to to a system? Rather than human control, and, like, and how lucrative that power is, how ooh, how easy it yeah. is to lose and gain and find and you know just steal, how easy it is for that to be moved in some form or another. Rather, it's not just an anchored piece of influence; mm-hmm. it can be taken on a whim, on a thing or whatever. There's there's no sense of complete deification when it comes to reality. Like, oh. like nano machines too, you know, keeping Vamp alive. He's immortal because of machines. You know, that's that's exactly true. And <laughs> to go uh, to go on a tangent with that, what kind of bothered me with four, and I I feel like you can relate with this Neil a little bit, is that the mysticism that was put into two with yeah. you know with uh, the arm transplant with Ocelot and. You know, just the the general concept of of vamp, and even a little bit from uh, um, Fortune, Helena Dolph Jackson, with her ability to you know manipulate those rockets from Ray. Yeah. You know, but, the, the mysticism yeah. of that was completely tamed in four. Hmm. And as yeah. much as I enjoyed the fact that it was justified, I also hated the fact that it was. So it's kind of like the. Uh the argument with star wars the midi-chlorians and the force <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but then on the other side of that we were saying fortune she then goes and turns it around again so it's like and actually then suddenly does deflect missiles without this gadget that stops yeah but her. you can also think that that's that's nano machines there's no point in yeah, bringing just... it up you know because she's not a part of the story outside of t- excuse me outside of two 
but you can assume if if you know vamp can be revitalized and kept alive even with bullets in the head by nano machines these all these same nano machines or similar nano machines can also magnetize and deflect rockets yeah and <laughs> big boss coming back from beyond the grave pretty much yeah. intact it's uh, things like that the gene, and you know the uh, the uh, the gene therapy and the mental conditioning for ocelot, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I enjoy the fact that it is justified. But there's that part of me that goes, <laughs> but <laughs> but the but the magic is gone. <laughs> You're not as fanciful as I once thought you were. It's <laughs> not fair. And you know, and but it, the nice thing about it is that, especially when an example of vamp is, by the time you learn that mm. it happened is when you were going to defeat him. So it wasn't like at the beginning of the game, his concept yeah. was ruined. That was it. So its delivery is astute for what it is, but there's still in hindsight, this little thing where I look back at two and I go, God, nano machines did that. Yeah. It does. Sort mm. of yeah. In time. I actually like it because in a way it kind of kept it grounded. It wasn't, it didn't become like this, oh, the supernatural thing exists and there's no explanation for it. Yep. Well, he does pretty much explain everything. Outside of the whole fortune thing uh, at the end of 2, he he's kind of just goes back to science and science is allowing us to do all these things. Yep. It's not magic or anything like that. You know, it's science. Even in the, in the way of psychomantis, you know, psychokinesis, all that stuff people believe in. You know, right now, who knows? Can they do it? Can they not? Is it fake? We can't prove it. Do you th- shadow of a doubt. But do you think that could be his ability to use his nano machines to manipulate others, mm. as opposed to because you know in four you have all the person you have the entire person's history based in nano machines. So if he can like manipulate the information on nano machines through his brain, as opposed to just putting it through a computer and reading it there. Yeah, I would that give him that kind of thing? But at the same time, he that from the way it looks, Psychomantis is going to be present in Phantom Pain. Yeah, and you, this you is going to be believing he is. Yeah, yeah, and this is going to mm-hmm. be before Nano Machines, which so, is a true. So he's a true psychic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whether it's, he's a true psychic or not. Um. So I really want to considering that he's going to be in there really signifies this whole like argument between nano machines and what's real and what's fake and stuff with in regards to the mysticism behind metal gear solid uh, but we're gonna i if we don't find out in five i'm just gonna punch konami in the face <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, uh, I will because this is the last one there's no way i'm gonna take any answer that they put in anything after five <laughs> So you're not going to discover discover the true origins of uh, Psycho Mantis and the Metal Gear Pachinko machine, Tim? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's the real jackpot. (laughs) What I'm going to do is if if a game like that comes out, I will buy it used and I will turn it into a Frisbee. (laughs) I have an interstate right out here about 100 yards away. I'll throw it out there. It'll be funny. Thanks, Konami. You know, five is very unique because, like, obviously, you can't predict anything of Metal Gear Solid before it comes out. Like, it's almost impossible. But there's, yeah, there's (laughs) like they've shown off a lot of stuff on the trailer, but yet they really haven't told you anything about any of it. 
It's so out, yeah. out of context, you know? Yeah, like they yeah. shut off all these supporting characters. We have no idea who they are or what role they play. Yeah. You know, um, we saw the little boy. Uh, who knows what that is? A lot of people saying that it's, you know, Jack uh, before he became Raiden. There's yeah. also the fact that those might be the, because uh, this is in the, uh, what, 86, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 86, that's going to be what, 84, 13, 84, yeah. That's going to be a 12 year old. That could be a possible 12 year old liquid. Yeah, that's too. the other theory. I've liquid heard. or Solidus. Who knows? You know, Solidus. We don't really know too much about Solidus outside of what we know from two and before. Yeah. Mm. He's kind of the, the, out of the three of them, he's the one who really doesn't have much story in, in the franchise, in my opinion. Uh, um, no. I mean, you said we'll probably meet Psychomantis in here. I agree with that, but I also believe that we will encounter Frank Yeager as well, and he'll recruit him on his team as well. Could that um, be a possibility? No. No, because Frank Yeager in Metal Gear uh, was taken. Yeah, was taken prisoner. Or no, wait. No, because in Metal Gear's what is it, Metal Gear Solid Snake back in the, in the day? Two, yeah. Yeah, he Solid Snake fights him in the minefield. Yeah. And hmm. he also appeared in Portable Ops as well. Null, you mean? Yeah. Isn't Null a completely different... I always went with the assumption that he was Frank Yeager. Because it doesn't say, does it? They just call they, it Null. They don't tell you, but they hint at it quite a lot, actually. I mean... So, mm. That's a possibility, and if that if that's the case, then Portable Ops is more canon than yeah, it's very they true. Say it is, yeah, Gray Fox is null. So I, oh, I, he, oh, he is. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. My life has changed. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, see, um, I I'm under the belief personally that Kojima, in a way, is going to do what he did with two. Where everything we're seeing right now is Big Boss, but somewhere maybe halfway through the game, we're going to switch over and play with Solid Snake after he's come out of the cloning process. Hmm. Bold. Bold, dear. Like his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, debriefing from the Green Berets, you mean? Like that part where he first first... goes under his wing? Like the reason I say is, if you look at you know the trailers we have now, and then you go and look at the Moby Dick trailer that they released, um, if you look at the two, uh, the one that's coming out of the hospital looks a lot younger than the one we're seeing right now. In all mm-hmm. the trailers, like he's skinnier, he looks younger in some of the shots that you see in, of him uh, with the, the facial shots. Um, I personally think he's coming out of I don't know maybe being put to sleep after he's, you know, been born or something like that. And, you know, everything he's seeing, like we see the visions that he had in that trailer of Vulcan and all these other characters, you know, the guy who's on fire. I think that's just him having the memories of Big Boss and it's just affecting him that way. That's why he's not able to recover. Well, to counteract that, he's also, uh, Big Boss already goes, also goes into a coma for like nine years. Yes. Which so, is, he already said that's the time when they take his DNA or whatever and clone him. That that's when the cloning starts is when he's in the coma. Yeah, yeah. 
but it, it would be one of those things also where and and I don't want to completely dis you know disown your theory, but it could be one of those things also where you know like after you know you've been on a a you know on a on a table or a gurney for nine years, yeah. your muscles are going to be atrophied. No, that, that's very true. I totally agree with it. But then we still don't know who that masked man was in that trailer either, with the Indeed. one with his whole face bandaged up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Then. At least, yeah, that's a really good question too, because that was supposed to be that uh, that what was that obtuse identity he created? Um, yeah, I can't remember. Um, the creator? No, uh, Kojima in the ads. Oh, in, the, um, in those ads and those leaks and all that. Yeah, a lot of people linked that to Frank Ager as well. I believe everybody thought that that was Frank Ager breaking snake out of something i don't remember exactly what it was back when that gonna... came out a lot of theories came out that that might have been gray fox or frank ager when after his surgery hmm i'll consider it well there might be something to this i'm not we'll have to see how it goes but what just recently kojima mentioned that there's going to be 25 years of callbacks in this game mm-hmm like a referencing and nostalgia. So, and that would span back to Metal Gear. Interesting. Hmm. See, like, I, I'm just sad that he's leaving now because I'm never going to get to play Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 remade and fight Frank Yeager in the middle of a minefield using the Fox engine directed by Kojima anymore. Right. I'll never get that, and that makes me sad. <laughs> I would love a fight in the minefield in high definition. Yeah. It'll be amazing, especially with his choreography and his the way he he does the cutscenes and everything. Ugh. That'd right. be amazing. <laughs> and the, the level of cinematography that Kojima puts into everything it's so far is, is astronomical because what's his, one of his quotes? He's like 80% movie references. Yeah, or sixty percent movie references, um, but it looks like now in five he's going to be taking more of a uh, a gameplay approach. Yeah. So, like, and you mentioned earlier, Neil, that you really like the fact that there was so much cinematography put into the games across the board. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that possible change taking place in five? The gameplay it's... focus. Yeah, it's been a change that's happened since Peace Walker. Peace Walker was very much, you know, the story was there, but the gameplay came first. You know, adding the mother-based stuff made it more of a game than the previous ones, where you know, it was a collection of odd, odd moments, great boss fights, you know, just things you don't normally see, and a story. And it came together to make this unique thing. Uh, yeah, Peace Walker, adding those extra bits which obviously is designed the way the handheld works. You know, you want bite-sized pieces of stuff. You can't really do that with Metal Gear game if you keep it normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, it went to Ground Zeroes where straight away they showed you that, hey, we're not doing it the same way. This is it. This is like breaking you in gently. You know, we're going to show you that there's more gameplay. There'll be more ways of messing around than ever. But we'll still have a story. It's like that. You know, people who obviously hadn't played Peace Walker were left in the dark, you know, straight away going into that, going, well, what's happening here? What's that about? What's that about? 
but it was yeah, a nice little chunk of story that does set the tone really nicely. So, yeah, I'm actually quite hyped for it, mainly because they've taken the best parts of Peace Walker and added it to the regular Metal Gear universe. And made those parts even more substantial. Yeah, I mean, the whole mother base thing just looks outstanding. Right? Yeah, and Fulton was just one of the funniest things to do in Peace Walker. (laughs) (laughs) It's just now it's just been blown out of the water with this. Now, it's funny you mentioned the Fulton, because on my way to the Platinum yesterday, my my journey became so much easier once I got the, um, oh my god, um, the Carlos, uh, the rocket launcher, yeah, literally had Fulton in it. It would not. It, you'd shoot it at people. <laughs> yeah, 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 it would knock them out and Fulton them out. So it literally, it it expedited the entire the entire process of Fultoning anybody. Uh, so. I wonder if that similar like, – a lot of those similar gadgets and those crazy little like, things are going to be in there because they also have a Fulton thing. I, I know they show that in the, uh, the big half-hour thing for Mother Base yeah. where you can Fulton people out through a wormhole. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, uh, so like, if, if you're going to be bending space-time for Fultoning people, it makes me wonder what else they have in store. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean – being Kojima, he'll play with the, the norm and have things that just don't make any sense if you were to take them in context with the rest of the game. But they're there to sort of remind you, hey, we're telling it's a story, okay. doing these cool topics uh, that you know quite serious, but here's some silly stuff you'd only get in games straight yes. away. And that's why that's why it's a great balance in Metal Gear. It's just it's you know serious debate issues and really ridiculous stuff. It's yeah, yeah super, it, and, Japanese, super Japanese in the way it's done in a lot of ways, I'd say. And at the same time, it's all incredibly anchored. Like there's, yeah. like a, there's a divine focus. There are these little hints of humor, little hints of culture, little hints of this, little hints of that, all over the place. All like just almost anyone say riddled because that's a negative word, but it's littered all over the place in the in the in the series. And I can only imagine how much is going to be in five, considering the sake, the considering the scale that's been advertised. Lucky Mike. Lucky Mike, am I right? Am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but wait, on the topic of, of uh, Mother Base, what I was really kind of worried about, and I didn't really think about it until they, they put more details in it recently, was the fact that you could be invaded. I was worried about the fact that you could literally lose everything. Yeah. Like you have, you'd have your core place. You'd have your core little, you know, your heart and soul where you do your normal stuff. But that's gonna be, there's going to be a part of your Mother Base that's offline. Yeah, always. And I like that. I like that you can't just be completely, you know, wiped off the map by some random guy who's overpowered and overleveled. Yeah. But you can still have the invasion and still do this and still do that. That's it. Making it optional as well means uh, people who get horribly annoyed by any sort of online component uh, will just be able to say, oh, I don't need it like that. So, which is good because you can still build and play another way. And, Big time. That's the way games should go. If you're going to have an online component, you should be able to benefit from on and offline play. Now, the online, and I don't remember reading this anywhere, but is the online component to Mother Base going to be delayed until October 2? Or is it just Metal Gear Online? Just or online. Is that part of just Metal, Gear, Metal online? Gear Online. The Mother yeah. Base stuff shouldn't be intact. Yeah, okay. it'll be integral. Which I'm really looking forward to that. 
Yeah, I think that looks more entertaining than the actual online multiplayer, personally. <laughs> yeah. Other base stuff seems a lot more fun. Yeah, it's this constant... It, 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 the concept of being able to infiltrate constantly changing bases or constantly different infinite an infinite amount of varied ba- of varied bases yeah blows my mind yeah and i need it <laughs> yeah. um, it is essentially fan made levels yes right and it's exciting it's it's like the it's like putting and you can think about it that way it's kind of putting a relevance onto level builders yeah that's really good thinking kojima well done I didn't know I needed this. <laughs> uh, what about you, Adam? Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. What are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What are you even worried about? Anything? What do you what What are you thinking about Five? Well, I'm glad to hear that you can turn the base invasions on and off. Because to be honest with you, that's something that I want to spend most of my time actually playing the game rather than having to go back to Mother Base to defend it. That could just well, be me. Uh, one of the nice things too is that you know, with, at least with the online portions of your mother base, you uh, in real time while you're playing a mission, you can go into your iDroid and assign people and see where things are going on your base live, and assign people to go offend, to go defend it. And you can change routes for like droids and stuff. Not droids. Yeah. Wow. Uh, change uh, routes for like ciphers and stuff that are going around. Any sentries, any things you can uh, do that. You can adjust it on the fly remotely. That's good news. I must admit, when I watched the um, trailer for Mother Base the other day, I was watching it at work with the sound off. So, uh, although I liked the look of it, I couldn't quite tell exactly what was going on. So, yeah. that's a good bit of information for me. Yeah, but you can keep it offline as much as you like. But if you want to get the extra benefits, you can branch out into you know, offshore territories that everyone occupies. And that's where the bases are vulnerable. So those bases will be under attack. Your main one will always stay, you know, pretty safe. Yeah, that's time. good. That's that's good. Um, I like the um, I like the fact that there's a lot of um, you can change a lot of the gameplay elements. Um, you can choose who you want to go into the missions and that. Yeah, um, another peace walker thing. That was good. Yes, and you can yeah. play as anybody that you that you yeah. draft. I'm gonna say draft. You can play as anybody you draft. Yeah, um, and you can choose your companions. I like that as well. You can have the horse. You can have the dog. The dog, yes. Give me. <laughs> oh, can't man, remember, can't remember his name. Diamond Dog. He is literally DD. That's it. DD. Yeah, um, just the fact that you can choose a lot of different things to go into missions with as well. I think that's quite good. Um, like that, the ride-on gun turret. That looks like that's going to be pretty fun. Oh yeah. So much to look forward to with five. Yeah, it's um, just overwhelming. Almost the amount of stuff <laughs> could be there. It's just, it's really hard to open even... world as well. Yeah. And, uh, it, the thing for me is, as I said before on normal podcasts, is that it comes at the worst time for me in a way because uh, our second child's been born, you know, in the next few days, really. So it's like <laughs> the game's coming, and it's like. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of hoping it's late nights where I can just find the time to pick it up and play it because it's like I've waited <laughs> I've waited five years you know, since Peace Walker for this and you know, even longer since the last major entry. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I don't know. It's it, I'm gonna play it wherever. <laughs> There's no no stopping <laughs> me on that. But it's, 
it's like, you know, beyond a Grand Theft Auto, it's one of those games I have to say, well, you know, I'm dropping everything. I don't care if people are inviting us out to weddings or if we've got to go shopping. I'm doing this. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and we all have those things. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. when I compare myself back to, you know, Guns of the Patriots, where I was living above a pub and it was just like I had all the free time in the world once I wasn't working and I just literally go upstairs, smoke a pack of cigarettes and drink beer until it was daylight again and play games like that. And and now I'm in a very different situation. I don't smoke. I barely, you know, we don't really have much in the way of drink and you know, I've got kids and I'm married and it's like, it's a different experience and a different type of game, but, you know, it's still a little nostalgia hit of, ah, getting to play a new Metal Gear again. And sad, of course, that it's the last time it'll be a proper Metal Gear. Yes. Yeah. yeah, when I played Snake Eater, there was many nights where I kept my wife up with the glare of the screen on the Vita trying to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was glad when I finally finished it. <laughs> oh, those good nights. Good long nights. Oh, yes. Um. Um, yeah, my, my only concern with 5 right now is how distracted am I going to get from the story with everything that you can do in that game? Well, I think what's going to help alleviate that is that uh, from the way it sounds, like loosely, is that everything you do has its own relevance. So even yeah. though if you're not going to be part of the main story, everything's going to build up. So you know, no matter what tangent you go on, it's going to be... Um, like you know, like much like the experience you you find in like The Witcher, you go on like a like a like a sub quest or whatever. You don't even know it's a sub quest. Yeah, like it has it perpetuates where you're going, how you develop as a person, uh, how the scenario builds up around you, um, the significance of the situation as well. Uh, so kind of I feel like the story. Yeah, instead of it just being like here's the fine line and then here are the branches, it's going to be one of these things where everything converges on this like big 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 road as opposed to you know like like a small highway and then some gravel roads and stuff like that yeah, pardon like, the metaphor like i think what would really irritate me with it is if like i'm trying to do a story mission right and like it won't let me continue on with the story mission because i need certain objects that i have to capture in the field first mm, oh it doesn't sound like it will do that though yeah can, oh. it can Considering Kojima, like in his his history with games, like there will only be certain things. Like if you ever need like a particular gun or something, um, you know, I guess in Peace Walker there was a little bit of that too. Like you needed, uh, like not necessarily even, you didn't need particular items to do anything. Yeah, but, I mean the Peace Walker missions were almost tiered three, four ways. It was like you had your story missions, and you had your sort of what we would consider proper side ops, which you know added to the main story. Yeah. And you'd have your goofy ones, like the monster hunter levels, and the, like the the puya, yeah, stuff like that. And yeah, <laughs> so you get a clear definition of what was necessary, what could help you out, and what yeah you know, was just for fun to pad it out a bit. Oh, yeah. So I think it'll be a similar sort of system again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, did you guys have any trouble playing Ground Zeroes as like very stealthy, as opposed to other? Like, I had a real problem with it because like I couldn't like there wasn't the lean option anymore. Like he automatically just kind of goes against the wall himself now. Mm-hmm. But because it was That's so hard to get open, used to. yeah, because it's so open and like you know you look at Metal Gear Solid Three, you had the camel stuff you can equip. 
you know, before you had the uh, the Octocam. In this one, mm -hmm. you have nothing, so you're very wide open. And I personally found it very difficult to do a lot of stealth stealthy in, in, in that game. Uh, I, but then, yeah. Go ahead. I, was, I think I came off the back of uh, Planet Platinum and Far Cry 3 at the time, and it shares a lot of uh, you know, ideas and mechanics from that in terms of scouting out your mission area and knowing where people can see you and where they can't see you. And for me, who, and despite loving this series of stealth games, I'm been generally terrible at playing them stealthy. It's like it takes great um, patience for me to do it, but you're not in grounds, yeah, in ground zeros, it just worked. It clicked for me. It's just like I still get you know caught out doing stupid things and not looking in the right direction when I, that, but it works. And I know at least with the extra gameplay mechanics they're adding into the phantom pain it won't be as difficult as uh, ground zeros to you know, find your way out of trouble because obviously you're going to be dealing on a much grander scale again and they want to give you the options of you know your cardboard boxes your distractions your knocking on walls and such which they've shown now in the videos you'll be able to do so yeah, I think it was uh, Ground Zero just stands as sort of a middle point of this is where we are now. We will add to it, but this is the direction we're going. It, it was never set in stone, but yeah, if that's the way they're going, I think I'll enjoy the stealth a bit more than ever. It's like to me, stealth was always fun to just mess around with the guards and stuff in the earlier Metal Gear games. Oh yes, yeah, uh, like oh god. That just brought me back. The the tanker level, you shoot like a dart or something in the corner, and you're underneath <laughs> at the bottom level of the tanker, and all of them would just look that way. <laughs> and it, it and it it made it even more funny. Is like once you play, or it made it funnier when you play through it, uh, like the second time, and they're just in their underwear, <laughs> and you get their attention. They all just kind of freak out, not wearing pants. Uh, it's just one of those weird little things. Yeah, that was um, awesome. but um, in regards to the the stealth a stealth aspect of uh, Phantom Pain. I feel like Ground Zeroes is a bad example of what to expect because the even though it's a fairly good, it's a fairly you know big camp. It's not gonna be like the the game of the game of Phantom Pain is not gonna be that concentrated. No. So you won't necessarily have to wait. You, you'll probably come up to a camp like this from the way it sounds. You'll come up to a camp like this that you have to deal with. But you're going to have a ton of open space between things and things you can, you can use um, and that space you can use for scouting, for getting around, um, for uh, working out what you want to do, that kind of stuff. Going from place to play, mission to mission, I, I think. Uh, going from mission to mission, uh, objective to objective. Uh, so you're not going to be you know, in this, this circle bound. You're not going to be bound in this circle uh, in you know, with a bunch of people walking around and a bunch of of obstacles and things like that. Uh, yeah. So what you saw in Ground Zeroes is gonna, I feel, gonna be this just this isolated incident on this thing that's much, yeah. much, much wider and much more open. Yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a proof of concept almost. It's just showing you this is the sort of style we're gonna go with, and it will branch out on it. And clear to say, it's a, even Kojima himself, I think, has said that it's. You know, it's so enclosed and that won't happen very often in the Phantom Pain where you'll have that sort of environment where you're going to be able to scope everything out fairly easily. I mean, even there it was a bit tricky. But, yeah, it's definitely going to be a much, much wider, 
more problematic thing as you go into the phantom pain because you'll have to think of outside factors beyond what you can see in front of you. Oh yeah. I um I, I must admit I love the fact that Kojima's put his bit of humour in there as well, such as <laughs> using the using the horse poo to spin round the <laughs> spin round the jeeps and then you can fullerton the fullerton the jeeps and the two people in it because they're dizzy. You can use them for. You know, yeah. you can follow them back to the, you know, because his games have always been full of little bits of humor like that. All Metal Gear Solid's got little bits of humor in them. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. And like the the big cardboard cutouts with, you know, with a woman on it. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. a salt, like, like somebody's not going to know the difference between a cardboard cutout. But <laughs> yeah, right. that's it. The little gamey moments again. Just yeah. make it. That's gonna be all over the place. I can only imagine Keeper Sutherland Cully coming in and going, "What is this? What is this? What is this? Why? What? How? What?" But how do you feel uh, on that note? How do you guys feel about uh, Kiefer? Yeah, I think this would be a really good closing concept and how it's gonna go into Phantom Pain. What do you think, Ernest? Um. Hmm. About like Phantom Pain in general. No, uh, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer. Because uh, he's uh, pretty much the, the meat and right. potatoes now. Yeah. Um, I'm concerned that the reason why Snake doesn't have as many lines is because Kiefer was too expensive. I can see that. That they had to work with budget. Because I see that in other games. Like, I feel that, say, in Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, I think the writers would have loved to have more of Kevin Spacey's character. Mm-hmm. Um, it does feel like he was a little bit too sparse uh, in appearances in that one. And I think they just had to work with his, probably his schedule, but also a budget. And I wonder if that's going to be, that's, that was the case with casting Kiefer for snake in Phantom pain. That could be, you know, it's very um, real, real possibility. I think. Hmm. I mean, that would definitely make sense. Yeah. Um, how do I feel about him? Uh, this thing, I guess. Okay. Um, I just feel, I just always have been used to David Hader and, you know, the artificial grisly voice. Yeah. And that's just, that was just part of the, the charm and that was the sound of snake. I don't know. It was just it was different enough, because um, I, I mean I do find Kiefer Kiefer does have a a distinct voice, oh, but yeah. I also think it isn't that distinct at the same time. I don't know if you know. So what. like he can be used in a more universal sense. You mean? Yeah, he's yeah exactly that. He's just I don't want to say generic, but just <laughs> less unique. <laughs> Than David Hayter's voice acting. Okay. Yeah. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, I mean, David Hayter's characterization and his voice acting was part of the charm of the, the mm-hmm. Metal Gear franchise. It's like if they didn't bring back, uh, whatever, I forgot, Corey something, I think his name is for Ryo Hazuki for Shenmue mm. 3. Um, oh, yeah. You know, that was part of, I think that's, a memory and part of why people kind of enjoyed 
Shenmue and one and two was just that kind of awkward <laughs> delivery. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, damn, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be something to think about. I'll, uh, I think I'll, uh, I'll chime in at the end. I'm gonna process it a little bit. Okay. Uh, Gary, how do you feel about Kiefer? I'm, uh, I'm fine with Kiefer. Um, from what I heard in Ground Zeroes, um, I wasn't that impressed. I wasn't that disappointed. I think it works just fine. Um, I am sad that he doesn't talk as much, but then again, it was Ground Zeroes. I don't know how much he talks in the final game uh, or in Phantom Pain. But um, um, I, I wonder if it was not really Kojima's decision to have Kiefer Southern, but maybe more Konami's decision. Yeah, of I was thinking the same thing. Someone more famous, like so many other studios are doing nowadays for their games. Um, you know, get somebody more famous, get more recognition that way. Um, but then again, you know, going back to my theory, and maybe even Ben has this theory as well, where Solid Snake does appear in the game, and you can't have the same guy voicing two characters. That's why they went with a different voice actor, so you can tell the difference. And but at the same time, uh, it's been... But he's he's preached up and down and left and right in any direction you can possibly conceive. Uh, that uh, David Hayter won't be making a, an appearance. Yeah, and we all thought Solid Snake was the main character in Metal Gear Solid 2. And that was probably the greatest kept secret in video game history. Fact. But at the same time, there was never so there was never any like thought that it would be anyone other than Snake. So I feel like this would be kind of a different uh, a different cake, a different situation anyway. Uh, just in the sense that, you know, you can't really anticipate something like Raiden. Uh, especially when there's no, like, oh, he was there and now he's gone. What's the deal? Much like it is with Metal Gear Now with Snake's voice actor. Um, so, like, with that in mind, I really don't think that... As, uh, considering how scorned Hater has vocally expressed himself about this whole thing, I really can't think that he has any presence in the game whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I still personally believe he will be in the game. I, they might even pull off what they did with Big Boss at the end of four, where you know the credits were rolling like, "Oh, David Hayter, Solid Snake, what is that?" And then you'll have that last cutscene leading into the original Metal Gear. I don't know. But knowing Konami, that's probably going to be DLC. <laughs> <laughs> just that ending cutscene. Finish the mm-hmm. game. See what you bought. Well, the, I, I mean, the other thing to support Tim. Is well, well, the yeah, there's they still have uh the same voice actor for the Japanese version, yeah, so that that supports Tim's side, yeah, because in the Japanese of MGS4, they also had a different voice actor for Big Boss, so I feel like if they were gonna go that route, they would. Do the same thing for the Japanese dub where they have a new voice actor for Snake. That way they can have a different voice actor for for uh, Solid Snake if he does appear, you know. And that was you – know, I'm glad you brought that up because that was another inconsistency when this whole thing started, you know, coming to light with this, this whole situation. They – Kojima justified Kiefer Sutherland as – Snake, so that he could not only do the voice acting, he'd also do the motion capture. But True. if that's the case, 
they didn't change anybody else. They didn't change anything else. Uh, they still had they and he said he also wanted to do it more Americanized, right? Because that's kind of where the gaming industry is going, mm-hmm. uh, you know, according to patterns. But what doesn't what doesn't suit me on a like just a conceptual level is that if that's the case, why did they not do that with everybody? Like everybody else is still being motion captured by. Uh, on a Japanese associate or Japanese voice actor or this or this or this. Mm-hmm. Why okay. why did they want to do Snake on his own like this and everyone else like this? Because Kiefer Sutherland's Jack Bauer, man. He knows how to move. <laughs> <laughs> he knows how to move. <laughs> All right, you're out. <laughs> um... <laughs> um <laughs> well, what about you, Neil? How do you um, like Kiefer? I genuinely like Kiefer anyway as an actor, and not just that. It's in Peace Walker, David Hayter tried to change the voice a little to make him sound a bit more griddled and older, and yeah. that was the weakest part of the entire game. Mm-hmm. It was, and I can totally see why. Kojima or even Konami themselves turn around when we can't really carry on with that. If you can't improve on that, we need someone else to do the voice. But we can't go with Doyle and do the full-on old man big boss voice. So we've got to have a middle ground. And perhaps the opportunity just came up and there was the guy that they wanted to use. But it I does mean, leave kind of a, an inconsistency though, doesn't it? You know, even it in... In three, he was—he still had a fairly greasy, greasy, grisly yeah. voice. But then he's around um, the age Snake is at that point, and it makes more sense that they'd be yeah. the same. Because but now that Big Boss is what, uh, uh, what in his fifties, he'd be in his fifties at this point, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's still in his fifties at this point. I think by the time the game's yeah, timeline, yeah, um, you'd imagine that in the progression of the the grisly characterization of his voice, it would be more or still exist, mm. but he doesn't really have it. Keith. Like, yeah. I think they're almost taking Peace Walker out of the equation now though, with this and just going straight as if this big gaps happen to be between what's happened in Metal Gear Solid three and what's happening in ground zeros. And well, true, just saying but... that David Hayter's voice no longer has any place in what he should sound like after that point in Metal Gear Solid 3. So yeah, it's going to sound a bit more jarring, I think, because of that. Because you have that reference point in the middle. And I'm sure with like that whole light, that's probably why they opted. Not not maybe maybe budget, I'm sure, is part of it. And I would I would definitely agree with that, Ernest, because, you know, Konami. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. you say negatively about Konami, I'm just going to agree with. <laughs> but, but Konami kicks time, puppies down the street. <laughs> uh, I saw it. It's right there, actually, right outside my window. Uh, but, but you know, you you also have to think about the fact that you know, they're gonna they're if they if they want to reduce the amount of flack and they want to kind of help grease the 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 transition a little bit better, they're gonna have him speaking less. So the focus yeah. is more on what he's doing and what's happening to him and what's going on yeah. around him. And this and um, yeah, as much as I, uh, you know, David Hay has done great with the role, I'm. You know, Kiefer Sutherland has shown he can play the downbeaten, downtrodden man on the edge of moral 
you know, his morals and not knowing where to stand on it. He can convey that better. I right. think. Hey, I think he has a a more. He can have that more of a like a pained feel. Yeah, the way his voice is, you know, more of a tortured hero, which is you know what Snake is or Big Boss. Yeah, especially at this point in the storyline where mm-hmm. you know, he is, he appears to be literally losing his mind uh, at points from. So it's. It works for me. I mean, not even just 24 where you can say as Jack Bauer, he goes for all this horrible, horrible stuff and gets betrayed constantly and his country doesn't like him and you have those parallels. Um, Mm. But even like early film roles that don't necessarily fit, you know, Big Boss, but he he did a film that was basically like a a modernised Red Riding Hood where he was basically a a perler nutcase who's stalking a young girl and it, it the, the weirdness and creepiness and insanity that you put into it some of that i could see working quite well in you know a big boss who's not quite all there and is on the brink uh, i mean you're never going to get like a, a a stellar a-list actor to do this kind of job because it would pro- require too much time even though he probably hasn't recorded all that much dialogue and they have their reasons for making mm. that work. Oh, yeah. He's about the right level that they could get him to do enough of it and convey a certain sort of consistency with it. Uh, yeah, I just think he's right for the way they're going with the character going forward. I don't think it's as simple as because David Hayter is going to be in it as Snake. I want to think that's the case, but that was at a time when we could laugh about, oh, this whole Kojima Konami thing must obviously be a joke. Uh, that they're just pulling a fast one on us to make us you know, do some sort of weird twist where Kojima yeah, turns out to be the prison. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't. It, it clearly isn't at this point because it's extended way beyond that. So it, that makes the whole David Hayter might come back thing a little less plausible. Because it's, it, there's history already there, and it clearly may not have been Kojima that got rid of Hater at this rate, I think, really. I think it may have had more to do with Konami saying, well, we don't want him going forward. Yeah. And oh, it's tough to leave it on a final note like that, considering yeah. how how bombastic this whole Konami-Kojima endeavor has been. But it's also a really good place to leave it, because it leaves a lot of things wide open in regards hmm. to how Phantom Pain is ultimately going to be presented. Um, you know, you have these, these decisions like uh, Kiefer Sutherland. You have decisions, you know, across the board. You know, like with um, possibly what can come out with online aspects, because you know, the first of the year comes out, it's no longer Kojima's game. That's it. Um, you know, things like that. Um, you just wonder where what we assume will be a cult classic will become something maybe completely, completely different. Maybe another stupid phone game, you know, cause that's where Konami's going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, at this point we know what it's going to be, where it stands and what we want out of it. And that's really kind of the important thing with, they, just the whole concept of Metal Gear Solid, because not only is Metal Gear Solid in itself an iconic series, but it's also a very personal one. And we've we've seen that today with 
all five of us giving our testaments and our feelings on not only the whole series but what's to come too and, and how Konami has handled that as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, with that in mind, uh, we can't wait until September 1st. We can finally get into the world of get into Afghanistan, see what's going on. How could how uh, Snake manages everything, goes about everything, Ocelot. We have quiet. We have the uh, we have the online aspects to go about. Mother Base, DD. That's the big one. That's the big one. DD. Oh my God, is that the wolf? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my God, I want that wolf. If that wolf Need. dies, I will never finish that game. I'll just stop. <laughs> Konami, why did you do this? <laughs> I'll never finish that game if that wolf dies. <laughs> but. Um, we have a lot to look forward to, hopefully. Hopefully not a lot to rue once it all comes out, once hindsight finally kicks in. But ultimately, uh, Gary, Ernest, Adam, Neil, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's been no a worries. joy to talk to you. I've, I've learned a lot from you guys, a lot of insight, a lot of things I never thought about before. Um, I, so I appreciate can I this. Quickly, can I just quickly say one thing, reference the David Hayter, uh, Kiefer Sutherland um, voice acting. Thing. Sure. Um, Go ahead. Just quickly want to say that for me, I I will always consider David Hater as Snake. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's oh, all yeah. I wanted to say. David Hater is Snake to me. Um, you know, Kiefer Sutherland is all right, but David Hater will always be Snake. Big time. And you know, it's it, not that you mentioned that. I think that the, uh, I think one of the focuses, and this could be just a result of how things ended up coming for this game, but I feel like. Snake, uh, snake. Well, I think Kojima's going to be putting more of a focus on, on the times and the mother base and the and the scenario and the substantiality to kind of deject from the fact that Snake is who he is now. Even though Snake is going to still be, like, obviously deteriorated. You know, you have points where that that shard grows out like a like an allegorical demon. Uh, but but I feel like it's going to be more of a focus on the substantiality of the situation as opposed to, yeah. you know, like everything revolving around snake, even though it, it ultimately will, it's going to be more of a, a delivery difference to help ease his pain. If you guys know that reference, yeah. <laughs> go the distance, <laughs> <laughs> but did hater. If you're listening in, we still love you. Yes, we all respect. do. We do. Um, but on that note, again, thanks everybody for joining me. It can't be Thank September you. 1st soon enough. I'm really, I'm really ready for it. Uh, the, yeah, thanks everybody for coming in. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, any questions, comments, uh, feel free to, you know, reach us out, reach out, reach out to us on, uh, PSU.com Twitter. Uh, we also have actually our uh, official handles too. And we also, and all of us have conversation pieces that we love to share. So if, uh, if you guys would like to reach out to us, Gary, uh, how would you prefer to be contacted? Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at Gaglaush, that's G-A-G-L-A-U-S-H, or you can email me at my PSU email at Gary, that's G-A-R-R-I, at PSU.com. Um, Ernest, how would you like to be contacted? Uh, Twitter is usually the best way. Um, handle is E-R-N-S-T-Y-L-I-N, Ernest Lynn. So if you have any comments or want to chat about stuff just reach out there and if you have any memes make sure to send them to Ernest. he loves them yeah any memes <laughs> gifts 70 percent of my body is composed of gifts 
how about you, Adam? How would you like to? How would you wish to be contacted? Um, you can contact me at Duffman1986 on Twitter, or my own PSU email, which is adam.duffield at psu.com. Perfect. And you, Neil? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Nesco. That's N E double Z K O, all lowercase. Or on email, you can find me at neil.bolt at psu.com. Perfect. Um, and if you'd like to meet, if you'd like to contact me, if you have questions for me, uh, you can find me at Tim Borelli on Twitter, T I M B E R E L L I. And don't be surprised if it chimes in a Disney song in your head. <laughs> it really <laughs> has. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm also at Timothy at PSU.com if you'd like to send me an email. Um, but uh, listeners, thanks for coming in. We appreciate your time. Uh, and remember, contact us if you want to talk about anything. Uh, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, everybody. And hopefully these next few days disappear for September 1st. <laughs> and then it'll be over. Oh, man. It, yeah, it will be over. <laughs> Two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, but yeah. Well, everybody, have a good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Good day to you. And good day to you. What is, what is that? <laughs> what is that? What is a normal farewell that Mike does? Uh, normally, it's, we do end up with believing Gary or um, thank God for me. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Think goodbye from him. Yes, there it is. That's the one.